Amen. So our sermon series this morning on the book of Matthew continues. Today is the story of the wise men. And we're going to read from chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. The whole, it's actually verses 1 through 12, which is the wise men's story. But we're just going to read a part. And it's printed there in your bulletin. Again, Matthew 2, starting at verse 7. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in looking up what to talk about the wise men this morning, what I found was that there's a lot of interest in what the star was. You ever heard this, this stuff before about what is the nature of this thing? Because, you know, sometimes we may think it's just the northern star, but consider what the text is actually telling us happened here. It shows up in the sky, but it's not just in the sky. It shows up and it directs the wise men. Like, so they see this thing moving, and they follow the thing that is moving, and it's when it stops that they know that Jesus is underneath it. So it's not just any old light in the sky that has shown up. There's actually this movement that is directing their, their, the way they're, they're going on their journey. So there's a lot of conjecture about what this could possibly be. Um, one entire article said, well, some people think it was Halley's Comet. You've heard of Halley's Comet. And it sort of makes sense, because a comet is a light in the sky that moves. But the problem is, is that Halley's Comet doesn't last long enough, right? <laughs> you, you, you are these guys from somewhere in the Middle East who are traveling to Jerusalem. And note that difference here. We, often, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In Matthew, that's not where the Magi show up. They show up in Jerusalem. That's where Joseph and Mary are living at this point. It's an interesting note. But just side note on that, they end up following it to Jerusalem. So you couldn't actually be Halley's Comet. And Halley's Comet would have been around 11, uh, the year 11. Historians think that Jesus was probably born more around like year 33, that we misrepresented the numbers in a way that he was actually born later. But anyway, so it, Haley's Comet, maybe, but it doesn't actually make sense. So another theory goes it's a supernova. Supernovas are those stars billions of light years away that ha have existed and they have got, ended their lifespan and they're about to blow up, or they have blown up. And so you get this bright light that travels billions of years towards us, and when it gets here, you see this flicker that gets bigger in the sky, and it's temporary. Not necessarily that it moves, which is kind of a problem, but just the idea that it could be there for a moment, for a while, and then disappear because the star lived, 
it blew up, it died, and then the light disappears. Another theory goes that it's actually that the planets aligned, right? So the sun shines off of other planets in our solar system like Jupiter and Mars and Venus. And so when those planets, from our perspective, in their orbits all end up in the same line, the light that shines off of them gets particularly bright for a while, and then it fades. And that would actually work because in that alignment, if you were to actually watch those planets, confuse them for a star, you would actually see the most movement of those stars, right? Because that they're orbiting around the sun. So they move in the sky much more than the actual stars. It's kind of fun to contemplate what that is. But I guess my question for you this morning is, do you think Matthew was worried about that? Every biblical writer and every reader of the Bible has one primary task. And it isn't to try and figure out the physics of the cosmos and how it plays out in our stories. This point of why Matthew would have written it, the point why we continue to read it, is because we're supposed to learn something about God. And whether it's a supernova or a comet, or whether it's the planets aligning or something else altogether, you understand by the end, the time you've maybe come to a determination or what you think it might be, have you learned anything about God? Not really. Well, maybe. Maybe. You can imply some things about God. You guys remember the show Bewitched? Remember that show? When I was a kid, it was in reruns, and so we would watch it almost every single morning on TBS. And so you know that it had a lot of camera tricks in it, right? Uh, Melissa, or Samantha was the character. And Samantha was this witch who would twitch her nose, and then they'd do these camera tricks. So she'd be in one shot, and then suddenly she'd be in a whole different shot. Or a different character would be in the scene with her, and then poof, they'd disappear. Or uh, she'd be able to manifest another person, like she had a, another character that she played, and they could do those camera cuts where they'd put on wigs, and it looked like they were talking to each other back and forth. But really, it was the same actress, just camera shots. That's called illusion. And it's a storytelling trick. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, great storytellers, I don't know if Bewitched is a great story, but you understand that great storytellers understand how to use their medium to get your attention and keep your attention and to do those things that, you know, kind of fascinate and make you wonder. And so you could say, well, that's the God we have in Matthew here. It's the God who's the great storyteller. And I, for one, always think God is a great storyteller. And God understands physics. God can do something like billions of years ago, let a supernova happen so that on the day that those magi need to go and find baby Jesus, that light is there in the sky. That could all be, sure. Is that what Matthew wanted us to know? Is that what's being revealed by God or why God would bother to continue to make sure that we heard this story for 2,000 years? I love the idea that God's a great storyteller, but the problem with God being an illusionist kind of storyteller is this. Another word for illusionist is also trickster, <laughs> right? And it's a different set of ethics behind it. But in storytelling, there's, there's this archetypal character type uh, called a trickster. And here's how they're defined. They have intellect, they have secret knowledge, 
and they use it to play tricks or otherwise disobey normal rules or defy conventional behavior. Right? So you get characters in stories that are the trickster of the story. In Matthew's story, is God the trickster? who just kind of has a secret knowledge about how stars work and how the cosmos works and the planets work. And God's using that to God's advantage. Storyteller or illusionist or trickster. What is the nature of the miraculous thing that the wise men are part of? I tried to look up some other kinds of ideas about miracles. I, there's something miraculous about this story. And what I found is that a lot of people will use that word, it was a miracle, to describe things like this. Their child gets really sick, deathly sick. They bring the child to the hospital. And over the course of the night, the doctors think that they're not going to survive. But then in the, in the morning, the child wakes up and is fine and gets to go home. And people go, it's a miracle. Yet, is it? Or is it like the ancient people looking up at the sky and just not understanding that those were planets or supernovas or comets? Is it a miracle or is it just that we don't know what happened yet? That someday through our own investigation of human biology, we will understand how that, those miracle stories happen. See, that's the word you've got to watch out for here, yet. We go back and we get interested in the story of the star, and then we realize that what it was, what all those solutions to it are, are just stories of we don't know yet. They didn't know yet. Give it 2,000 years and we'll understand that through telescopes a lot more than they did then. We say miracle right now about medical stuff, and the truth is there's a really good possibility that someday it'll just be them looking back and say they didn't know yet. Here's what I want you to take away today and remember about the story. Don't let the possible get in the way of God. I don't think Matthew tells a story. I don't think God keeps this story around and makes sure that we keep hearing it. I don't think we keep listening to it because God says, hey, miracles are just what's possible. That I'm a storyteller and a trickster and a great physician in the sense that I just have secret knowledge you don't have. That's not why we got told this story. We didn't get told this story to just remind us that someday something will be possible, we just don't know it yet. Matthew told this story, I think, for the opposite of possible, for the impossible, for the idea that God can do the things that none of us can do. And there's not a yet to it. There's not a someday through our innovation and technology we will get there and we will understand it. No, it is impossible. That's the God that we're supposed to learn about from Magi. A light shows up in the sky, call it a star. It has the ability to move and direct the course of those wise men. And it's the impossible not the possible. It is not just a story about something we, they did not yet figure out. It is a story about the impossible happening. 
and the God of true miracles being part of this world. Think about it. That, that's the story that we've been getting told so far already in Matthew. We get these moments. A virgin is pregnant. That's what? Impossible. Angels appear in dreams and protect Joseph and Mary from bad things happening. Sounds somewhat impossible or improbable. The king wants this baby to die. And the wise men don't know it. It's impossible that the king doesn't get the king's way. It's impossible that a light moves across the sky. Can you imagine what the modern interpretation would this be if it happened now? Somebody would be like, it's a UFO. It was the aliens. They were doing it. And someday, possibly, we'll get it. We don't know it yet, but we will. No. The power of the story is the God of impossible things, being capable of doing them in our midst true miracles, ones that we will never pull off no matter how great we become. The logic behind that really, really matters. The Jesus we are about to encounter is more than just a great hero. I remember the TV show also, another one I watched as a kid in reruns a lot, was M.A.S.H., and I, I particularly always liked the, the relationship between Hawkeye and Radar. Remember these two characters? The older doctor with all the experience and who was really fun but smart and really great at his job. He was the hero of MASH. And then you had Radar who idolized him. And I don't remember the specific scene or the specific story, but I do remember a moment when Hawkeye failed to live up to Radar's expectations, and there's this beautifully written scene where Radar gets so mad at him and says, Hawkeye, you did it wrong. I can't believe this. You let me down. And Hawkeye looks back at him and goes, you can't put that on me. You raised me up to this pedestal, but that is not who I am. I am a human being just like you. Understand the logic behind God needing to be the impossible and not just one of our heroes. When I was growing up, Bill Cosby had the greatest sitcom on earth. He was America's dad. He was one of the heroes in the world. And look where that turned out. You put a person on a pedestal and they fall. Jimmy Swaggart was a lot of people's heroes back in the day. And look how he falls. Roseanne, people admired her for her comedy and her brilliant sitcom and everything else. One tweet. And it all came undone. Or even right now, Ellen. <laughs> so you probably don't pay attention much to pop culture. I don't care much either. But there's been all this stuff in the news about this talk show host and how this queen of nice turns out to not be so nice after all. What a scandal. When we idolize those who are just good at the possible, we're also going to find out that they're just human. And they're going to make their mistakes, and they're going to fall down. And whatever you thought they did, what was miraculous, wasn't. There's no real hope that lies in just another hero. The hope that Matthew is 
putting towards us is the impossible comes from God, from the other, from the divine, from something you are not capable of and never will be capable of, the holy divine other of the universe. And it's the hope that because that character in the story, God is incapable of things that you will never be capable of, that through that you can have real trust and real hope that something that is impossible could happen in your life. Not just that a hero will come along and do the thing that you're just not good at, but that the hero of the story will be the one who does the genuinely impossible. That star in the sky, the magi that they follow, is not the star of a supernova or a comet or planets aligning. It's the star of the impossible. Allowing ourselves to embrace the not knowing of it, the unexplainable of it, the moment of awe and otherness is the point. Again, understand what Matthew's up to and what God is up here up to too. You go, that's impossible. And God says, that's my specialty. A virgin becomes pregnant, and that is impossible. Angels protecting us by talking to us in dreams sounds impossible. Kings being thwarted in their murderous intent is impossible. A star shows up in the sky and moves around, directing these men's lives is impossible. Don't let the possible get in the way of God. So, in conclusion, just imagine yourself. You're with the Magi living somewhere in the Middle East. You're looking up at the star, and this bright new light shows up in your world. What do you do? Do you sit down with your friends and conjecture for a while and scratch your chins and go, I think that might be a supernova we just saw? Or are you like Herod? And you go, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, everybody run, 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 the world's coming undone, I can't accept it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Or do you go, that's amazing. Let's go find out where it's taken us. The wisdom to follow and not letting the possible get in the way of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that you are the God of impossible things. And so, God, when we run into our own lives where we say that can't be done, that is impossible, remind us of these stories and these moments when the truly miraculous happens and we realize that you are the one looking at us by our side saying the impossible is my specialty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's join together and sing our next hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Amen.